Kelly guy. It is good to be back. It is good to be back. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about where I've been in just a moment, but first, there's something that you're going to need. We're each going to need for this message today. It's one of these, okay? So can I see, do you have one of these? Preferably one with five fingers, okay? Uh, um, now, I promise you, I'm not going to make you raise your hand throughout, like, you know, answering questions like Pastor Randy does, you know, who this, who, I promise that's not, but it is going to be very important, but you're going to need it a little bit later, so just go ahead and put it back down, and I'll let you know when you need it, okay? So I've been away for a little while, but let me start by saying this. Everyone should have an Aunt Wanda. Everyone should have an Aunt Wanda. Aunt Wanda is my mom's twin sister. She never had kids of her own, so she and I have just been very, very close my whole life. My whole life, she has spoiled me rotten from the time I was a little child right up to the age and stage of life that I am now. So she calls me a few weeks ago, and she says, oh, she's 85 years old. She says, I want to take you to Hawaii. I said, okay. <laughs> that sounds fun. So literally, I had only one week to prepare, and that was like preparing packing as well as preparing to leave work and stuff and get some things lined up. One week, I'm on an airplane off to Las Vegas where she lives, we, and then from there, the next day, we fly on to Hawaii. We spend a week in Hawaii, and it was awesome, right? I mean, beautiful scenes like this. Um, this is actually a Google image, though. <laughs> None of my pictures were quite that good, but I mean, I'm just like in paradise, you know, these blue oceans and beautiful, perfect weather. It was always like between, you know, 70 and 80 degrees with a cool breeze, sunshine, blue skies, double rainbows and unicorns. It was amazing. But my favorite, my favorite part of Hawaii was this. I took a free ukulele lesson because we met on a bench one day. We met Auntie Jean. She's telling us about how she gives, uh, does free ukulele, I learned, is the pro proper pronunciation, ukulele lessons. And I said, but wait, you don't understand, miss. I I'm musically challenged. And she's like, you're my favorite kind of student. I can teach you how to play 50 songs. She taught me three chords. She said, with these three chords, I can play 50 songs. The problem is switching between chords. You know, I can do like, here's C, but then, you know, after that, switching. But I'm super excited about my ukulele as a musically challenged person. So it, it's kind of exciting to think I might be able to kind of, sort of, a little bit. But my Aunt Wanda says, yeah, but you got to be able to sing with it. I was like, this is true, Aunt Wanda. Thanks for pointing that out. But like every wonderful vacation, it had to come to an end. And what is it we always say at the end of a wonderful vacation? It's time to go back to reality. Reality. And man, did I, bam, hit reality. I mean, it goes from this beautiful, sunshiny weather and I come back to weather in the 30s, and it's cold, and it's raining, and it's miserable. And then I come back to Pastor Pete, you know, telling me, well, I'm not good enough to play on the worship team with my ukulele. And even if I was good enough, he doesn't need one. I'm like, man, reality can be harsh, right? So that's why today I want us to talk about this, living in reality. You see, the reason that it's so hard for us to go back to reality after a wonderful vacation is because of this. 
because reality's hard. It's so hard to go back because reality is hard. And it's hard because, you know, we've got all these roles and responsibilities in life that we have to fulfill, things expected of us. We've got obligations, we've got duties, we've got chores, we've got jobs to work and bills to pay and houses to maintain, all this day-to-day expectations, you know. But then on top of the consistent day-to-day grind of things that are expected of us, there's also a lot of inconsistency as well. I mean, so often we are hit with something we just did not expect, you know? Reality just kind of sneaks up on us with, with some unexpected struggles and some unexpected sorrows and worries and fears. Reality is just kind of full of unknowns. Like Forrest Gump once said, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, Right? But Jesus said something very different. He kind of said the opposite of what Forrest Gump says. I mean, Jesus says this, that we actually should know exactly what to expect. He says this. He says, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. You're going to have trouble. He didn't say that we might maybe possibly have some troubles come our way. He says it's a guarantee. It's something that you and I, we can count on in this world, in this present reality where sin exists because people are, not all people are all the time carrying out God's will and God's ways, his good and perfect and loving ways. Because of that, we're sure to have trouble absolutely sure to have trouble. There's no getting around it. And when I think about us as we're sitting here on this Sunday morning, big crowd, I just wonder, I wonder about all the troubles each of us are personally going through right now. What are your troubles in your present reality? You know, is it marital troubles? Are you having family troubles, troubles with the kids, troubles with teens, troubles with aging parents? Is it job troubles or or financial troubles you're experiencing now? How about health troubles, addiction troubles, mental and emotional troubles? I mean, again, in a room this size, I, I, I can't begin to imagine all the various kinds and just how many troubles we're all dealing with. So far, this is a really encouraging message, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Here's the thing about troubles. Not only are troubles hard, they also create for us just a lot of confusion and turmoil. You see, they have the potential to disorient us, causing us to think things and feel things that simply are not true. I spent a lot of time um, on an airplane, you know, going to Vegas and then Hawaii and then back to Vegas and then back to Baltimore and so forth. Not that that makes me an expert in flying or anything, but I, my understanding about actually flying an airplane, not in an airplane, but being the pilot that flies it, flying an airplane is very different than driving a car. You see, when we drive our cars, we just depend mostly on our eyes you know, what it is that we see as we're driving, and then our instincts, you know, what it is that we feel. We only look at the instruments, you know, on that dash panel or whatever. We only look at those gauges 
uh, whenever we want to check to see if our gas, you know, where our gas level is, or if we go flying past a cop and we need to see how fast we were going over the speed limit to find out how much trouble we're in, right? A pilot, on the other hand, though, a pilot has to depend on the instruments and the gauges or he or she could be in really big trouble. 1999, JFK Jr., amateur pilot, crashed over the Atlantic Ocean. And the, the official sighting in the report was this, spatial disorientation. It's a common thing. Something pilots experience when they're flying at night or in clouds or in bad weather when visibility is low. And it's not just that they, they can't see, it's something more than that. It actually causes sensory conflicts within them so that the pilot sees and feels things that are not real. They may feel that the plane is this way, but the plane is actually this way. So the pilot must totally depend on their instruments to tell them what's true. Tell them what's true about their current condition, not what they're seeing or feeling. Now, I'm sure you know probably where we're going with this, right? The troubles we experience in this present reality, they can cause us to become disoriented. They'll cause us to think and feel things that simply are not reality. We could call this spiritual disorientation. It's kind of like Pastor Pete. It's like sitting in the back seat facing the wrong way. It's all kind of mixed up and backwards. So we start thinking and feeling things that just simply are not true. Things like this, I'm all alone in this. I'm all alone, nobody understands, nobody even cares. And we start saying, why me? This is so unfair. I can't take anymore. I'll never survive this. And then if we stay in this disoriented condition, long enough or too long, well, then we might even begin to project our inaccurate thoughts and feelings onto God as well. We project things that simply are not true. Things like Lisa thinks and feels. I want to tell you about Lisa. Lisa's a 48-year-old woman who lives in Houston, Texas, and she's actually the co-worker of a, a good friend of mine. So my friend lives here in Frederick, goes here at FCF, but it's a telework kind of thing, so they have conference calls and so forth, video chats. And so she's gotten to know Lisa over the last several months to a year. And it's real obvious that the troubles Lisa has experienced in life have left her incredibly and deeply disoriented. Here are some of the things she's communicated to my friend. God is mean. God is mean. I can't love anything because God will just take it away from me. And then she says, hope, hope is evil. Humans are given this insane ability to hope. I don't know where that comes from, but it is evil. There was another co-worker who is a Christian in their group and I guess she's heard the things Lisa has said as well so she gave her a book hoping that maybe this this woman's story of having endured a lot of hardship would would be an encouragement to her and help orient her but Lisa said this she said she didn't like it because it keeps saying that God is good and that he loves me I don't like it. I'm not reading that book and she goes on to say this she says I hate God no, I don't hate God. She says, I need a stronger word than that. Wow. Wow. 
I mean, there's no doubt that Lisa has experienced a lot of painful troubles in her life. And most of us, I, I, I don't think we experience quite that level of spiritual disorientation like Lisa is experiencing. But I think it is quite common for e even all of us as followers of Christ to still get disoriented, disoriented by our, our troubles and, and, and we start feeling these things like this, like where is God? He's abandoned me. We start thinking, doesn't he see what's happened to me? Doesn't he care? I thought he loved me. Why is he doing this to me? He must be punishing me. Spiritual disorientation. Thinking and feeling things that simply are not true. You see, folks, our current physical reality, it is full of troubles, troubles that can disorient us. But if we've made a decision to put our faith in Christ and to follow him, then we have a spiritual reality that's a lot bigger and that's full of truth. Truth that can stabilize us and keep us on course. So if we hold on to the troubles that we can expect in this life, then we're going to have confusion. We're going to experience anxiety and depression and frustration and resentment and anger. We're going to be mentally, emotionally, and relationally unwell for sure. But if instead we hold on to truth, we hold on to truth, then we're going to experience clarity. We're going to see things as they really are. We're going to be infused with courage. And we're going to have resiliency, the resiliency that we need. So the big question for each of us is this, though. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? What am I holding on to? Are we holding on to the troubles? Or are we holding on to truth? Are we allowing what we're thinking and feeling to be our guide? Or are we looking to the instrument that our loving God is giving us to orient us and guide us into what is true? What's that instrument? God's word. The Bible. I love the simple song we teach our kids that just saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so, and that's my truth gauge. The word of God, our creator, our savior, and the lover of our souls. That's where our truth comes from. So that's why the apostle Paul says we've got to hold tightly to what's true, to the truth. And in 2 Thessalonians, to the Thessalonian believers, he says, stand firm then, keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you. Keep a strong grip, living in this present reality of troubles that will disorient us. It calls for you and me to keep a strong grip on the greater spiritual reality so that we can stay oriented by what is true. So I've long felt like I even wrote a kid's lesson over 15 years ago that there are five spiritual realities that we must keep a strong grip on while we live in this present reality with all its troubles. So guess what? This is where your hand comes in. You need the one with the five fingers, okay? We're going to use that one now. So I want you to start. We Put finger number one up for me. There you go. There you go. If you don't like doing this, you can just down here by your side, okay? Down here is okay. Woo, woo, whichever you like. But truth number one is this. 
It all starts here. God is good. God is good. This truth, folks, it's foundational to all the others. This is where it starts. I mean, think about it. If the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, if he is not all good, then we're in big trouble, right? I mean, it's just like Lisa says. You know, if he's all-powerful and all-good, but he's mean, we're in trouble. But that's not what the scripture tells us. The truth we desperately need to hold on to is the truth that our God is good. Everything he wants for us, everything he does for us is good. And this makes him, what Pastor Randy has often said, the safest person in the universe. You know, from cover to cover, I think the Bible is the story of God's goodness. A lot of people will say it's the story of love. I, th I think it's the story of his goodness. Certainly love is all throughout it, but it's the story of God's goodness. The troubles we experience in life, they're not a lack of goodness on God's part. They're not evidence that God is mean like Lisa thinks. As Pastor Randy has often said, God is allowing evil. He's allowing the troubles for a little while so that he can one day abolish them forever. His plan for humanity, his plan for you, his plan for me is a good plan that is totally for our good because he is good and he does only good things. The psalmist says it this way. He says, I will sing to the Lord. It's one of the reasons we sing. Why? Because he is good, not just good in general, but good to me. It's personal and we've got to make it personal. He is a good God and he is so, so good to me. I've often said one of my favorite songs is the goodness of God. And I remember the first time I heard that line and every time I hear it since it just wrecks me. God, you've been so, so good to me. When I look back at my life, his goodness is just all over it. I hope you can say the same. Not, you can say the same if you've seen it. It's there. We've just got to have eyes to see it and a heart to see it. So number one is this, God is good. Can you say that for me? God is good. In Psalm 100, the psalmist says this, for the Lord is good, and there's the love. His love endures forever. They go together. Truth number two is God loves me. God loves me. The troubles I'm experiencing are not a measure of God's love. God's love is measured by the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross where he displayed the depth of his sacrificial love for us. That's the measure of his love. Jesus even said this in John's gospel before he went to the cross. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He basically was saying to them then and even to us today, he's, he's saying, I've done all I can do to demonstrate how much I love you. That's the greatest measure of love, laying down your life. There's nothing more I can do to express the depth of my love. I went to the cross for you. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, God describes his love for his people. And he's talking to his people then, but it's just as much for his people today, New Testament people. And he says this, he says, I have loved you with what kind of love? An everlasting love. 
I mean, nothing we will do will ever change God's love for us. It's everlasting. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing that we could ever do that would cause him to love us any less. He loves you. He loves me with a constant, with a consistent, with an unfailing, one of my favorite words in scripture, and an everlasting love. A constant love, a consistent love, an unfailing love, an everlasting love. You and I have got to keep a strong grip on that truth. Not just the truth that he loves me, but that's the way he loves me, with a love that's constant and consistent and unfailing and everlasting. That's how my God loves. So number two, God loves me. Can you say that with me? Yeah. Truth number three is this. God is with me. No matter what I'm feeling, God is with me. There was a song uh, back in 1990. Bette Midler sang this song, and it was this beautifully annoying song. It was very beautiful and very annoying. The song was called From a Distance. So it was just this beautiful sounding. You could kind of get caught up in it. And then when you listen to the words, it was like feeding us a lie. She was singing that from a distance, God is watching us. Which another way of saying that is we're all alone in this big bad world full of troubles. God's watching, but nothing more. You know, he either can't do anything about our troubles or he won't. He's just rather indifferent to our suffering and he simply doesn't care. He just sits up there and watches. Quite the contrary. From watching from a distance, our God is with us. He's with us in every way. He is emotionally with us. You see, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet explains this. These are three different Bible versions I pulled out. In one version, it uses the word distress. In all their distress, and it's talking about God's people, as they were distressed, he too was distressed. If my people are distressed, I'm distressed. In another version, it says, in all their suffering, he too suffered. And then I love this one, in all their troubles, God, he also was troubled. You see, the truth is we are never, ever alone in our pain, no matter what it feels like, we're not alone. We're not alone in our pain, we're not alone in our struggles, we're not alone in our heartache. Our God is not watching from a distance, emotionally detached and unconcerned about our pain and sorry. No, quite the opposite. Whenever we hurt, he hurts right along with us. Just like any loving parent would with their child, right? You understand that. And it's no different with God. He hurts when his kids hurt. The writer of Hebrews, it remind, he reminds us of this. God has said, never, emphasis on never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. There's nothing you can ever do that will cause me to leave. Never will I leave you. And then just before Jesus returned to heaven after his resurrection from the dead, one of the last things he said to his followers, he reminded them, I'm with you always. Even when you don't feel like it, I'm with you. I'm with you always. When? To the very end of the age, until the day I come back to planet Earth to set up my kingdom. So you and I, we must, we must keep a strong grip on the truth. God is always with me. 
Number three, God is with me. Can you say it? Truth number four, not only is he with me, he's for me. He's for me. Again, we cannot allow the troubles to disorient us and lead us into thinking and feeling that somehow that, that our troubles are an indication that he's, he's against us. You know, he's doing this to us. He's mad at us. He's disappointed in us. He's punishing us for some reason. No, no, no. Our God is full of grace and mercy. He is a forgiving God who is always for us always wanting what is best for us, always wanting what is best. And Psalm 118 says it this way, the Lord is for me, the psalmist says, so I will have no fear. He's like, he's like God's on my side. He's for me. He's with me and he's for me. So I don't have anything to be afraid of, you know? And then it goes on to say this, if God is for us, who can be against us? I got God on my side. If God is for me, who can be against me? So number four, God is for me. Can you say that? God is for me. Very good. Last truth is this. We need to hold on to. God gives me strength. Something we all need in times of troubles, isn't it? He gives me strength. Folks, God is ready, able, and more than willing to help us in our times of troubles by supplying us with the strength that we need to endure to carry on another minute to carry on another hour to carry on another day whatever it is he's ready and willing and able to do that for us he wants to psalm says the lord gives strength to his people he gives strength and he's looking he's looking for the opportunities to give strength i, I love the way second chronicle says it and this is one of pastor randy's favorite verses for the eyes of the lord range throughout the earth well okay so he's looking he's looking what's he looking for he wants to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So it's saying, God's looking. He's like, who are my people that, that need some strength right now? And all they need to do is, you know, if, if, if their hearts are committed to me, man, I'm, I'm ready to give it. I want to help. I want to pour my strength into them. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? And then Isaiah 41 says, don't be discouraged for I'm your God. I'm with you and I'm for you and I love you and I'm good. I will strengthen you and I'm gonna help you. You're not alone in this. And then I love this. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You see, as I hold on to truth, he holds me up. It's like when I'm drowning because of the troubles and I don't know what to do. He's like, come on, I'm gonna hold you up. I'm gonna strengthen you. I'm gonna hold you up. You're okay. You can endure this. Truth number five, God gives me strength. Can you say that? Yeah. You see, no matter what thoughts or feelings are racing through me, this, this is what's true. This is reality. Reality is always, you know, it's kind of like oxygen is all around us. We breathe in air, right? We don't see it. It's still there, and it still is what we need, desperately need to survive. This is reality even though we don't always see it even though we don't always feel it god is good god loves me god is with me god is for me and god gives me strength that's what's true and that reality is far greater than the physical reality of the troubles that we're dealing with and during when you and i hold on to these five truths we're not just holding on to some spiritual statements 
we're actually holding on to a person. You see, the one that these statements are true about is who we're actually holding on to. Who is that? Scripture tells us Jesus said when he was on this earth, I am the way, I am the what? The truth, and I'm the life. He is the truth. When we hold on to these five truths, folks, we're holding on to Jesus. We're holding on to a person, the one who is the truth, the one who personifies everything that is true. As we hold on to these, we're basically declaring, Jesus, I know you are good. Jesus, I know you love me. Jesus, I know you are with me and you are for me. And you, Jesus, are my source of strength. So as we hold on to these truths about Christ, our creator, we are then upholding his character. His character that was slandered thousands of years ago in a garden. His character that continues to be slandered today. You see, Satan convinced Adam and Eve that their creator, he couldn't be trusted. So he calls them become disoriented. And they suddenly began to question, you know, what they had always known to be true. They're, they're suddenly questioning it. Well, maybe God, maybe he really isn't good. You know, maybe he's not for us and, he, and maybe he doesn't want what's best for us. Maybe he's just keeping us from something good and just controlling us and exerting power over us. Satan totally disoriented Adam and Eve by slandering God's character. And you know what? He's using the exact same tactic today. He wants to accomplish the same thing. He wants to disorient you and me. He wants to convince us, oh, God's not good. He doesn't love you. How could he after what you've done? I mean, God's just up there watching you struggle from a distance. He doesn't care about what you're going through. Matter of fact, he's probably punishing you because you're weak and you're pathetic. There's no one here to help you. You're all alone and you're not going to make it. Satan got to Adam and Eve and he disoriented them. And Satan has gotten to Lisa, and he's disoriented her. Has he gotten to you? He can turn it around today if he has. I mean, Jesus is shouting to us, it's not true, that's not who I am. Hold on to what I'm telling you is the truth about me. This is who I am. I'm good and I have good in store for you. I have always loved you and I will never stop loving you. I'm always with you. I'm always for you. I will always help you. I will always strengthen you and hold you up. Just hold on to me. Just hold on to me. Hold on to me like Darcy. Darcy's the complete opposite of Lisa. She's been a member of this FCF family for many, many years, and she sent an email to the leadership team here this week, and she was telling us about how her mom had passed this week. And um, Darcy's been through a whole lot over the last couple of years. So listen to what she said in the middle of her email. She says, I've been in the cave for over two years, and it's hard. Reality's hard. But I know, listen to what she knows and she's holding on to. She says, I know God is with me and he is a loving God. I get my strength from him and I've been closer to him than ever in my life. 
You know, in this world that's full of troubles, my encouragement today is be a Darcy, not a Lisa. Be a Darcy. You know what we have? When I, when I hold on to those five truths, you know what I have? I now have a fist that I can punch Satan in the face. Don't be talking about my God like that. Pull a little Will Smith kind of thing on him. Sorry. Here's the truth. When we hold on to truth, everything changes. We are changed. Look how we're changed. Look, because I know and I believe that God is good, then I can trust him. It's his goodness that makes him trustworthy. Because I know and believe that God loves me, then I'm safe. I'm safe in his loving arms. Because I know he's with me, now I have courage. I'm not alone. Because I know he's for me, I've got confidence. I've got God on my side. Who can mess with me now? And because I know and believe that God gives me strength, I can endure. I'm gonna be okay. I can make it another day because he's gonna give me just what I need. This new reality gives me something I desperately need. You see, Jesus said we're gonna have troubles in this present reality, but look what he said right before, before and after. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. The, the, The slide before that, I'm safe. I have courage, I have confidence, all that gives me a sense of peace in this life. It's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, many troubles, but take heart. He says, because I've overcome the world. He says, the troubles are the physical reality here, but the spiritual reality, man, it's so much bigger. Hold on to that. So today, Jesus is offering you and me some much needed peace in the midst of our troubles and it's peace that comes from holding on to him and what is true about him as i hold on to these truths i have a peace in christ that will now give me clarity and it'll give me stability and it'll give me courage and it'll give me resistance resilience all i need is a hand with five fingers you with me That's all we we need to get through this life, a hand with five fingers so that we can remember these five important truths and never ever be disoriented again. After the first service, someone sent me a text with a picture. I'm hoping we we have it. Look, can you see it? Uh, Let's see, God is good. God loves me. God is with me. God is for me. God gives me strength and God is here in the middle. So I want all of you to take a pen out right now. awesome, isn't it? But that's it. I mean, just think, anything I'm going through, my hand is all I need. I'm going to remember. I don't want you to do it with me now. This is all we need to hold on to, everybody. Everybody ready? Loud and proud, okay, as a follower of Christ. Number one, God is good. God loves me. God is with me. God is for me. God gives me strength. That's it. That's all we need. That's all we need. Yeah. So may we be those who hold tight to Jesus and what is true about him from this day forward, no matter what we're dealing with. You know, the night before he was betrayed, 
right before Jesus was going to be arrested and then crucified. Jesus instituted a practice with his disciples, something that he said would help his followers remember. Remember his death and then his resurrection so that we could keep a strong grip on spiritual reality, not on the troubles, but on truth. What he says is true about himself. And this practice that he instituted and we carried on as followers of Christ down to this day is a practice called the Lord's Supper Communion. So if you've put your faith in Christ and you're one of his followers and you're holding on to truth, then we invite you to join us in this time of remembering. We remember Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, that through this, he demonstrated for all time that he is good, that he loves us, that he's always with us, he's always for us, and he promises to always help us and strengthen us if we just hold on to him. So if you'll go ahead and take that little cup with the juice and the bread and if you happen to need any just put your hand up and we have some people ready now to come out and pass those out but if you want to tear the top off for that piece of bread I'm going to read to you from 2nd Corinthians after I find it This is words from the Apostle Paul as he talked about this very practice that Jesus wanted all of us to carry on to remember. In chapter 11, he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. So do this. In remembrance of me. So let's remember the Lord Jesus as we take the bread. He goes on to say that in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant, covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So remember, let's remember his shed blood on a cross. And then Paul says this, he says, For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And he is coming again. Folks, hope is not evil. Hope is a good thing. It's an anchor for our souls. Jesus will return one day. He will establish his kingdom, his good and perfect kingdom. A kingdom where there's no more troubles. Until then, we're holding on to him. Let's pray. Lord God, how we thank you for your truth. How we thank you for your word that orients us, keeps us uh, grounded in your truth and guiding us in your truth. So Lord, may we each from this day forward hold tight to you and what is true about you. That you are good, you love us, you are with us, you are for us, and you will always, always help us and give us strength and hold us up. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.